As Kath mentioned earlier, today is Palm Sunday. We celebrate the beginning of Holy Week. But simultaneously, we're bringing our teaching series to an end, which has been called The Path to Fruitfulness, um, which is a series in John 15. And when I pointed that way, I was kind of hoping, Colin, there we go. If, if at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. Can we just do that one more time? Back to the front on. Um, our series has been called The Path to Fruitfulness. You can't teach that. Well done, Colin. Brilliant. So this has been the journey we've been on. You see, John 15 is all about abiding in love. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain or abide, live in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So when we talk about abiding, what we're really talking about is choosing to intentionally dwell in the embrace of God. I'll say that again. When we talk about abiding, abiding, what we're really saying is intentionally choosing to dwell in the embrace of God. That's the whole Christian story. It starts with an embrace. It ends with an embrace. Everything in between happens in the context of an embrace. All of the riches of heaven are available to us through the cross and in the context of the embrace with God. So the embrace then leads to pruning. And this is what Kath spoke about last Sunday. Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? So that it will be even more fruitful. Here's what you've got to grab hold of. The pruning happens in the context of an embrace, right? It happens as we remain in the love of God. Why? Because pruning requires proximity. So when we're held close by God, what he does, he gets out his heavenly secateurs, those are gardening scissors, by the way, and he finds branches in us that are diseased or dying or dead, and he cuts them off so that we can be even more fruitful. So when seasons of struggle come, and they have come, and they are still here, where seasons of sufferings come, if we remain, abide, intentionally dwell in the embrace, we experience pruning. In other words, God works all things for good. The stuff that goes on within us and around us begins to form us into the likeness of Jesus and into the people God desires us to be, right? If we're held in the embrace. Now, this has been my experience and my observation that often when struggle comes, when hardship hits, rather than leaning into the embrace, we lean out of the embrace and we detach from God and we try and fly solo. And if you fly solo, you escape the pruning process. So rather than being formed in the embrace into the likeness of Jesus, we are deformed. In other words, we're formed by our pain. We begin to unravel. Bitterness creeps in. Despair creeps in. We begin to walk away from life and towards death. So here was the encouragement from last week. When you hit a season of struggle, lean in. Remain in the embrace. Allow God to prune you and form you towards the purposes of greater fruitfulness. So that was last week. So abiding leads to pruning, which leads to, and here's the big reveal. Let's keep on reading in our passage then from verse 9. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love. You get the point of repetition, right? Remain, remain, remain. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, and this is the big reveal then, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, Jesus says, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command and the summary statement, love each other. This is the command, love each other. So the abiding leads to the pruning. This all happens in the context of the embrace and the pruning is a preparation so that we might learn how to love. These are the three great movements of the Christian life made really simple. Learning to live, learning to die, learning to love, right? All the spiritual practices, all the spiritual disciplines have as their end goal these three pursuits, learning to live in Christ, learning to die to self, learning to love God and love each other. And today we're going to zoom in on what does it really mean to love? And the summary statement would be to love is to lay down your life. Jesus, greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. And today we're going to look at two great examples, two stories of two kings entering into Jerusalem and demonstrating what love actually looks like. So the first story then is King David to Samuel chapter 6, and then we're going to get on to the story of Palm Sunday and read Matthew 21 together. So the story of 2 Samuel chapter 6, it's the story of the Ark of the Covenant. Some of you will be thinking, what's the Ark of the Covenant? If you've seen Indiana Jones, then you'll remember. It's this wooden chest, and inside the wooden chest are the two stone tablets on which the Ten Commandments were written. But this wooden chest was more than just a, test, a, a, a chest containing the tablets. It, it represented the manifest presence of God. It was meant to dwell in the tabernacle and then the temple so that the presence of God might be among the people. But in the backstory to 2 Samuel chapter 6, the Ark of the Covenant has been stolen by the Philistines. It eventually comes back to Israel. But by the time of this story, it's been 20 years without being in the city of David, the city of God, Jerusalem. So David makes really intricate plans to bring the Ark, this wooden chest, symbolizing the manifest presence of God back to the city of God so that the people of God could enjoy the presence of God and live life fully. Now, as the presence begins to enter the city, David does something extraordinary. He strips off his outer robes, his royal garments. He's left in essentially his undergarments, his linen ephod, the equivalent of his, his boxer shorts, his underpants. And he begins to dance before the Lord with all of his might. So in that moment, there's an intentional decision, right? Hold on to dignity or dance with all of my might. Very few of us, I think I'm one of the only people I know who can do both simultaneously. <laughs> For most people, it's a choice. It's 
hold on to dignity or dance with all of my might. Now, you've probably faced that kind of decision. I, I know I have a number of times. It happens every few years. It's normally on a dance floor at a wedding, right? And someone persuades you to go on the dance floor. You're not really feeling it, but to humour your mate, you, you step onto the dance floor and you, you pull out a few moves, but your heart really isn't present. And then a certain track comes on. And it's just atmosphere begins to change and, and you're beginning to get into it. And then you hit decision point. Hold on to dignity or dance with all of my might. And in that moment, it's like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to choose joy. And at that moment, you pull out all of the big moves. You, you start with the lasso, right? Yeah, there we go. Then you move on to the sprinkler. And then the lawnmower. And you begin to floss as if your life... I can't really do the floss while sitting down. Um, as if your life depends on it. And you just lose yourself. And you're overwhelmed with a sense of joy and a sense of freedom. Now, often you're aware that one or two people at the bar are watching you and you think that what they're thinking is something like this. Have you seen that guy? He's on fire. <laughs> I mean, that, that guy can dance. <laughs> now, is anyone recording this? We, we need to get some of this footage because this kind of stuff can go viral. <laughs> now, what he's actually thinking and saying to his mate, have you seen that guy? He's humiliating himself. <laughs> he's going to wake up tomorrow with deep deep regret. Are we capturing this? Because that could go viral. But in the moment, you don't care. Here's the point. I'm exaggerating to make the point. But we're all willing to let go of dignity, right, for someone or something. And the thing that you're most willing to let go of dignity for is the thing of highest worth in your life. That's the thing that you love and devote yourself to. And for David, it, it was the manifest presence of God. So as the presence returns to the city and the presence is amongst the people, he can't help himself. He takes off the crown. He takes off his royal garments. And this would have been humiliating at the time. They'd have never have seen the, the king in his linen ephod. And he begins to dance and celebrate. And he's trying to communicate to the people like there is only one king truly worthy of your devotion and of your worship and it isn't me. So I'm going to humiliate myself to make the point that the king of kings, the Lord of lords, he's present in the city. We can live life close to the presence of God and therefore we can live life fully. Lay aside dignity, dance with all of your might. How amazing is that? Here's the lesson, right? That if you truly want to love God, if you truly want to worship him, you lay down dignity. You stop caring what other people think because the pursuit of his presence is the number one pursuit in your life. That's what love looks like. That's what love looks like. When we regather, can we just agree as a church community that when we can sing without our masks and when we can dance without worrying about two-meter social distancing, can we just agree we're going to let go of dignity? Yeah. And we're going to sing and we're going to dance and we're going to worship with all of our might because our highest priority is his presence. Without his presence, what's the point? It's just ritual. It's empty, but we long for his presence. Yeah. You see, love's willing to let go of dignity just to fully embrace the one that we love. So that's the story of the first king entering into Jerusalem, making the point that love looks like laying down dignity. Here's the second story then, um, which is Matthew 21. 
And I think Kath read from a different gospel account earlier. But let's just read it again to remind ourselves. So the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought a donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of Jesus and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. It's a cool story. Here's the backstory. 200 years before this, to be precise, 167 BC, um, there was a revolution that took place in Jerusalem. At the time, a tyrant had taken over Jerusalem, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, and, and he'd basically, he was trying to Hellenize Jerusalem. So he'd desecrated the temple, he'd spilled pig's blood in the holy place, he was trying to humiliate the Jewish community, and at that time, a family known as the Maccabees family, led by a group of brothers, and in particular Judas Maccabeus, they were like, no, we will not stand for this. So they enter into Jerusalem, they cleanse the temple, they win it back, they overpower this empire and Antiochus Epiphanes and they drive them out of the city and for seven years they rule. Now to remember that moment, what happened is Judas Maccabeus entered into the city on a military war horse, sword in his hand and the people, they laid out palm branches on the floor. These are symbols of victory. And they began to quote Psalm 118, written by David. It's called the Conqueror's Psalm. And they began to say, blessed is he, another Judas Maccabeus, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, like God has saved us. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And everyone went crazy because there was peace in the city again. Now, fast forward almost 200 years and Jesus enters the city. This time the city's being ruled over by the Romans and people are longing for freedom and they're longing for peace. And there's rumors of this rabbi, this prophet, this teacher, maybe he's going to become their military leader. So as he enters into the city, they begin to lay down palm branches and they begin to quote Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see this guy, he's going to cleanse the temple. He's going to be enthroned as king. He's going to bring freedom and he's going to bring peace. And they were so right and they were so wrong at the same time. Why? Because their own dreams, nationalistic visions meant they didn't see the donkey. They just presumed this was like Judas Maccabeus all over again, military war horse. They didn't spot that it was a donkey a symbol of peace. They didn't spot that Jesus wasn't carrying a sword. Came in the city with vulnerability and empty-handed. And what did he do? He did go to the temple. You read that in the passage that follows and he turns over the tables and he says, look, this is meant to be a house of prayer and it's become a den of robbers. And if you keep on reading through the, the accounts of the journey to the cross, he is enthroned as king but it's on a cross as he is crucified with a crown of thorns piercing his skull. He does bring freedom and he does bring peace, but by giving up his life, dying for the sins of the world, no one saw it coming. They thought Jesus was going to be this military leader grabbing power and ruling by force. And he comes in on a donkey and he lays down power and he rules by love 
and they described him as the servant king. And then Jesus invites us to follow in his footsteps. Yes, to rule, that's what it means to be human, that's back in the Genesis story, but to rule by laying down power and choosing to serve and ruling by love. You see, that's the point of Holy Week. As we walk through Holy Week, we realize our story is a completely different story. It's a better story. As we lay down our lives, we truly begin to love. And as we love with the love that God has for us, we begin to become agents of healing and agents of redemption and agents of restoration. It's a better story. So what does love look like? Well, here's the summary from the second story of the king entering into Jerusalem. Love looks like laying down power. Here's my encouragement as we come out of lockdown. A lot of people are going to be trying to grab hold of dignity and they're going to try and grab hold of power. Because lockdown has been undignifying, right? Like we felt fragile. Our friends, maybe even our colleagues have seen us more insecure than we would normally allow them to see. Like some of us have been doing work meetings in our pajamas. It's, it's true, that, that's not dignified. Let's be really honest, some of us have been in Zoom calls on the toilet. There is no dignity in that. Like we have lost dignity in lockdown and I'm half kidding, but when people go back into the workplace, as they re-engage in their friendship groups, I can tell you people will try and grab hold of dignity. I want to prove myself, re-establish my reputation in the workplace. I want people to respect me, maybe even revere me, maybe fear me. So I'm going to grab hold of dignity. This has been a time of extreme powerlessness where we felt like we've lost agency. We used to be able to pull this lever and that would happen, but suddenly we're realizing that it's not working anymore and we've lost control and people are freaking out. I can tell you that when people head back into the workplace and reestablish some of their friendship groups, they're going to try and grab hold of control because people are freaking out and they're going to try and grab hold of power. I'm going to reestablish myself in the workplace as someone who has access to power. I'm going to try and climb the ladders. I'm going to try and grab power and rule by force, right? This is the way of the world. And this is an invitation as we remember the Easter story, as we enter into Holy Week, the kingdom story is a different story. It's a better story. How do we re-engage? We re-engage not by clinging on to dignity or trying to grab hold of it, but relinquishing it, Mm -hmm. laying aside dignity so that we can bring dignity to others. How how do we relate to power? Not trying to grab hold of it, but we empty ourselves of power to love those that God so loves. You see, this is the path to fruitfulness and and the world around us doesn't understand it. But Jesus says in, in John 15, like, here's the key, abide in the vine and the abiding will lead to pruning, but the pruning will teach you how to truly love and it's love that brings healing and restoration, the love displayed at the cross. I want to close with a, a story. Um, A lot has been written about the Church of England and the church in this nation during lockdown. A huge amount of critiques, some of which may be fair. People writing articles saying maybe this is the end of the institution. Will it survive, you know, COVID and the crisis? Like, have they brought the spiritual leadership that they should bring? Have they called the nation to 
prayer? Have they pointed people to higher things? Or have they turned in on themselves and tried to figure out how do we take the church online? How do we look after ourselves? And there's been a lot of critique, as I said, some fair, some not. But what the media don't tell you about the role of the church in a crisis like this is the sheer beautiful demonstration of love in every community where the church has been laying aside dignity and laying aside power to love God and to love our neighbours. And there was one story that was picked up by the media on BBC. And I watched this and I just thought, that's what it means to be the church. This is a beautiful demonstration of the Easter story of this pursuit of I'm laying aside dignity, I'm laying aside power, I'm laying down my life to love as Jesus loves. So watch this story of two priests in Burnley. Beautiful story. Cue the video. I'm a broken, recovering drug addict that got a second chance and uh, I love the poor because I know I'm the poor and as long as I breathe I'll serve the poor. You see all these people, they have children. Hungry children. It's hard to keep your distance when you're cold and hungry. The level of need here in Burnley at the moment is, I think, unprecedented. And it's upsetting. We've got some, some bread as well, yeah? Right, so which one's yours and is? You decide. Visiting a, a family who had no carpet, had no settee, who had no gas, had no electric, they had no food. I broke my heart because um, nobody cared for them. They fell through the crack. Pot noodles, that kind of stuff, all right. It's St Matthews. Father Alex supports Pastor Mick. Many are desperately looking for help. What have these past six months been like for you? It's been really difficult because um, you're doing the day job prayers, the pastoral calls, uh, funeral services, trying to be a dad, parent, and you've got this massive cloud that's just sat up there. Coronavirus. Coronavirus, yeah. Together, they're the hope for thousands through this crisis. I'm sorry talking about, I'm sorry about getting upset because, you know, it's, um, you carry, carry people's burdens. You, you try to tell them that it's, it's all right. This is so, so upsetting. We pray mercy and love into the lives of the families. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. These people of faith that are stepping into the arena and making a massive difference. How have you been doing anyway? Well, the Terminator sleeping bag, we're doing all right. <laughs> it was a good sleeping bag, weren't it, that bad, eh? Yeah. And people are coming from a community of despair. A couple of days food has been everything to us. To a community of love and care. Anybody not gone out? And that's what's different in Burnley. 
Is this testing your faith? No. No, my faith is being strengthened by this crisis because it's given me an opportunity to uh, live out the gospel, to serve the poor and to help the needy. All those people that you may have seen weeping that I do believe that God weeps as well and uh, wants this to go away. And uh, for people to celebrate a sense of community and care for one another that is much needed in this town. How incredible is that? that essentially the story picked up that week from the BBC, in which they say, look, the hope for Burnley, two weeping priests. That isn't display of strength. Two weeping priests whose hearts have been broken for the lost and the marginalised and the vulnerable in Burnley. And they see this opportunity, this moment of pruning, as an opportunity for love to live out the gospel to empty themselves and communicate there is a God who cares. There is a God who loves, who can bring freedom and can set you free. His name is Jesus and his love flows through the cross and you can experience his resurrection life. You see, this is the, the movement of John 15. This is the message of John 15. It all happens in the context of remaining in the embrace. We choose to intentionally dwell in the embrace of the Father. In the context of that embrace, we begin to experience pruning. You don't run from the embrace when struggling kicks in. You move in and allow him to do his work. And then the pruning is for the purpose of love. And this would be my encouragement to us as a church family. As we re-engage, as we begin to regather, as some of us begin to head back to workplaces in the coming weeks and months, what is our priority? We've been through a season of pruning, right? What is our priority? Our priority is to love. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends.